Section seven of Night Watches by W. W. Jacobs. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Unknown Handsome is as handsome does, said the night watchman. It's an old saying, but it's true. Give a chap good looks, and it's precious little else that is given to him. He's lucky when his good looks have gorn, or partly gorn, to get a berth as night watchman or some other hard and bad-paid job. One drawback to a good-looking man is that he generally marries young, not because he wants to, but because somebody else wants him to. And that ain't the worst of it. The handsomest chap I ever knew married five times, and got seven years for it. It wasn't his fault, poor chap. He simply couldn't say no. One of the best-looking men I ever knew was Captain Bill Smithers, what used to come up here once a week with a schooner called the Wild Rose. Funny thing about him was he didn't seem to know about his good looks, and he was one of the quietest, best-behaved men that ever came up the London River. Considering that he was mistook for me more than once, it was just as well. He didn't marry until he was close on forty, and then he'd made the mistake of marrying a widder woman. She was like all the rest of em, only worse. Afore she was married, butter wouldn't melt in her mouth, but as soon as she had got her lines safe, she began to make up for it. For the first month or two he didn't mind it. He rather liked being fussed arter, but when he found that he couldn't go out for half an hour without having her with him, he began to get tired of it. Her idea was that he was too handsome to be trusted out alone, and every trip he made he had to write up in a book, day by day, what he did with himself. Even then she wasn't satisfied, and arter saying that a wife's place was by the side of her husband, she took to sailing with him, every voyage. What he could have seen in her I don't know. I asked him one evening, and he answered in such a long roundabout way that I didn't know what to make of it, till I see that she was standing just behind me, listening. After that I heard her asking questions about me, but I didn't have to listen. I could hear her twenty yards away, and singing to myself at the same time. After that she treated me as if I was the dirt beneath her feet. She never spoke to me, but used to speak against me to other people. She was always talking to them about the sleeping sickness and things of that kind. She said night watchmen always made her think of it somehow, but she didn't know why, and she couldn't tell you if you was to ask her. The only thing I was thankful for was that I wasn't her husband. She stuck to him like his shadow, and I began to think at last it was a pity she hadn't got something to be jealous about and something to occupy her mind with instead of me. She ought to have a lesson, I says to the skipper one evening. Are you going to be followed about like this all your life? If she was made to see the foolishness of her ways, she might get sick of it. My idea was to send her on a wild goose chase, and while the wild rose was away I thought it out. I wrote a love letter to the skipper signed with the name of Dorothy, and asked him to meet me at Cleopatra's Needle on the embankment at eight o'clock on Wednesday. I told him to look out for a tall girl—Mrs. Smithers was as short as they make them—with mischievous brown eyes, in a blue at with red roses on it. I read it over careful, and after marking it private, twice in front and once on the back, I stuck it down so that it could be blown open almost, and waited for the schooner to come back. Then I gave a van boy two pence to and it to Mrs. Smithers, what was sitting on the deck alone, and tell her it was a letter for Captain Smithers. I was busy with the barge what happened to be handy at the time, but I heard her say that she would take it and give it to him. When I peeped round she had the letter open, and was leaning over the side to windward, trying to get her breath. Every now and then she'd give another look at the letter and open her mouth and gasp. But by and by she got calmer, and after putting it back in the envelope she gave it a lick as though she was going to bite it, 
and stuck it down again. Then she went off the wharf, and I'm blessed if five minutes arterwards a young fellow didn't come down to the ship with the same letter and ask for the skipper. "'Who gave it you?' says the skipper, as soon as he could speak. "'A lady,' says the young fellow. The skipper waved him away, and then he walked up and down the deck like a man in a dream. "'Bad news?' I says, looking up and catching his eye. "'No,' he says, "'no. Only a note about a couple of casks of soda.' He stuffed the letter in his pocket, and sat on the side smoking till his wife came back in five minutes' time, smiling all over with good temper. "'It's a nice evening,' she says and I think I'll just run over to Dalston and see my cousin Joe." The skipper got up like a lamb, and said he'd go and clean himself. "'You needn't come if you feel tired,' she says, smiling at him. The skipper could hardly believe his ears. "'I do feel tired,' he says. "'I've had a heavy day, and I feel more like bed than anything else.' "'You turn in, then,' she says. "'I'll be all right by myself.' She went down and tidied herself up, not that it made much difference to her and, after patting him on the arm and giving me a stare that would have made most men blink, she took herself off. I was pretty busy that evening. What was shifting lighters from under the jetty and sweeping up, it was pretty near half-past seven before I had a minute I could call my own. I put down the broom at last, and was just thinking of stepping round to the bull's head for half a pint, when I see Captain Smithers come off the ship to the wharf and walk to the gate. "'I thought you was going to turn in,' I says. I did think of it, he says. Then I thought perhaps I'd better stroll as far as Broad Street and meet my wife. It was all I could do to keep a straight face. I'd a pretty good idea where she had gone, and it wasn't Dalston. Come in and have half a pint fust, I says. No, I shall be late, he says, hurrying off. I went in, and at a glass by myself, and stood there so long thinking of Mrs. Smithers walking up and down by Cleopatra's needle that at last the landlord fussed to ask me what I was laughing at, and then offered to make me laugh the other side of my face, and then he wonders why people go to the Albion. I locked the gate rather earlier than usual that night. Sometimes if I'm up that end I leave it a bit late, but I didn't want Mrs. Smithers to come along and nip in without me seeing her face. It was ten o'clock before I heard the bell go, and when I opened the wicket and looked out I was surprised to see that she had got the skipper with her and of all the miserable-looking objects I ever saw in my life, he was the worst. She had him tight by the arm, and there was a look on her face that almost scared me. "'Did you go all the way to Dalston for her?' I says to him. Mrs. Smithers made a gasping sort of noise, but the skipper didn't answer a word. She shoved him in front of her, and stood over him while he climbed aboard. When he held out his hand to help her, she struck it away. I didn't get word with him till five o'clock next morning, when he came up on deck with his air all rough and his eyes red for want of sleep. "'Haven't had a wink all night,' he says, stepping onto the wharf. I gave a little cough. "'Didn't she have a pleasant time at Dalston?' I says. He walked a little further off from the ship. "'She didn't go there,' he says in a whisper. "'You've got something on your mind,' I says. "'What is it?' He wouldn't tell me at first, but at last he told me all about the letter from Dorothy and his wife reading it unbeknown to him, and going to meet her. It was an awful meeting, he says, awful. I couldn't think what to make of it. Was the gal there then, I says, staring at him? No, says the skipper, but I was. You? I says, staring back. You? What for? I'm surprised at you. I wouldn't have believed it of you. I felt a bit curious, he says, with a silly sort of smile. But what I can't understand is why the gal didn't turn up. "'I'm ashamed of you, Bill,' I says, very severe. 
Perhaps she did, he says, arf to himself, and then saw my missus standing there waiting. Perhaps that was it. Or perhaps it was somebody having a game with you, I says. You're getting old, Bill, he says very short. You don't understand. It's some poor gal that's took a fancy to me, and it's my duty to meet her and tell her how things are. He walked off with his head in the air, and if he took that letter out once and looked at it, he did five times. "'Chuck it away,' I says, going up to him. "'Certainly not,' he says, folding it up careful and stowing it away in his breast-pocket. "'She took a fancy to me, and it's my duty—' He said that afore, I says. He stared at me nasty for a moment, and then he says, "'You ain't seen any young lady hanging about here, I suppose, Bill? A tall young lady with a blue hat trimmed with red roses?' I shook my head. "'If you should see her,' he says. "'I'll tell your missus,' I says. "'It'd be much easier for her to do her duty properly than it would you. She'd enjoy doing it, too.' He went off again, and I thought he had done with me. But he hadn't. He spoke to me that evening as if I was the greatest friend he had in the world. I had two at pints with him at the Albion, with his missus walking up and down outside, and after the second half pint he said he wanted to meet Dorothy and tell her that he was married, and that he hoped she would meet some good man that was worthy of her. I had a week's peace while the ship was away, but she was hardly made fast afore I added all over again and again. "'Are you sure there's been no more letters?' he says. "'Sartin,' I says. "'That's right,' he says. "'That's right. And you haven't seen her walking up and down?' "'No,' I says. "'Have you been on the lookout?' he says. "'I don't suppose a nice gal like that would come and shove her ad in at the gate.' Did you look up and down the road? Yes, I says. I fair made my eyes ache watching for her. I can't understand it, he says. It's a mystery to me, unless perhaps she's been taken ill. She must have seen me here in the first place. And she managed to get hold of my name. Mark my words, I shall hear from her again. How do you know? I says. I feel it here, he says, very solemn, laying his hand on his chest. I didn't know what to do. What with his foolishness and his missus's temper, I see I'd made a mess of it. He told me she had hardly spoke a word to him for two days, and when I said, being a married man myself, that it might have been worse, he said I didn't know what I was talking about. I did a bit of thinking arter he'd gone aboard again. I durstn't tell him that I had wrote the letter, but I thought if he had one or two more he'd see that someone was having a game with him, and that it might do him good, besides which it was a little amusement for me. After everybody was in their beds asleep, I sat on a clerk's stool in the office and wrote him another letter from Dorothy. I called him Dear Bill, and I said how sorry I was that I hadn't even a sight of him lately, having been laid up with a sprained ankle and had only just got about again. I asked him to meet me at Cleopatra's Needle at eight o'clock, and said that I should wear the blue at with red roses. It was a very good letter, but I can see now that I done wrong in writing it. I was going to post it to him. But, as I couldn't find an envelope without the name of the blessed wharf on it, I put it in my pocket till I got home. I got home about quarter to seven, and slept like a child to pretty near four. Then I went downstairs to have my dinner. The moment I opened the door I see there was something wrong. Three times my missus licked her lips before she could speak. Her face had gone a dirty white color, and she was leaning forward with her hands on her hips, trembling all over with temper. "'Is my dinner ready?' I says, easy-like, "'cause I'm ready for it.' "'I—I I wonder I don't tear you limb from limb,' she says, catching her breath. "'What's the matter?' I says. "'And then boil you,' she says, between her teeth. "'You in one pot and your precious Dorothy in another.' 
If anybody had offered me five pounds to speak then, I couldn't have done it. I see what I'd done in a flash, and I couldn't say a word. But I kept my presence of mind, and as she came round one side of the table, I went round the other. "'What have you got to say for yourself?' she says with a scream. "'Nothing,' I says at last. "'It's all a mistake.' "'Mistake,' she says. "'Yes, you made a mistake leaving it in your pocket. That's all the mistake you've made. That's what you do, is it, when you're supposed to be at the wharf, go about with a blue at with red roses in it, at your time of life, and a wife at home working yourself to death to make both ends meet and keep you respectable.' "'It's all a mistake,' I says. "'The letter wasn't for me.' "'Oh, no, of course not,' she says. "'That's why you'd got it in your pocket, I suppose, and I suppose you'll say your name ain't Bill next.' "'Don't say things you'll be sorry for,' I says. "'I'll take care of that,' she says. "'I might be sorry for not saying some things, but I don't think I shall.' I don't think she was. I don't think she forgot anything, and she raked up things that I had contradicted years ago, and what I thought was all forgot. And every now and then, when she stopped for breath, she'd try and get round to the same side of the table I was. She followed me to the street door when I went, and called things up the road arter me. I ad a snack at the coffee shop for my dinner, but I adn't got much appetite for it. I was too full of trouble and finding fault with myself, and I went off to my work with a art as heavy as lead. I suppose I hadn't been on the wharf ten minutes before Captain Smithers came sidling up to me, but I got my spoke in first. "'Look here,' I says. If you're going to talk about that forward hussy what's been writing to you, I ain't. I'm sick and tired of her. Forward hussy, he says. Forward hussy. And afore I could drop my broom he gave me a punch in the jaw that pretty near broke it. Say another word against her, he says, and I'll knock your ugly head off. How dare you insult a lady? I thought I should have gone crazy at first, but I went off into the office without a word. Some men would have knocked him down for it, but I made allowances for his state of mind and I stayed inside until I see him get aboard again. He was sitting on deck when I went out, and his missus too, but neither of them spoke a word. I picked up my broom and went on sweeping, when suddenly I heard a voice at the gate. I thought I knew, and in came my wife. "'Ho!' she says, calling out. "'Ain't you gone to meet that gal at Cleopatra's Needle yet? You ain't going to keep her waiting, are you?' "'Hush!' I says. "'Hush yourself!' she says, shouting. I've done nothing to be ashamed of. I don't go to meet other people's husbands in a blue at with red roses. I don't write em love letters and say hush to my wife when she ventures to make a remark about it. I may work myself to skin and bone for a man what's old enough to know better, but I'm not going to be trod on. Dorothy, indeed. I'll Dorothy her if I get the chance. Mrs. Smithers, what had been listening with all her ears, jumped up, and so did the skipper, and Mrs. Smithers came to the side in two steps. "'Did you say Dorothy, ma'am?' she says to my missus. "'I did,' says my wife. "'She's been writing to my husband.' "'It must be the same one,' says Mrs. Smithers. "'She's been writing to mine, too.' The two of them stood there looking at each other for a minute, and then my wife, holding the letter between her finger and thumb as if it was poison, passed it to Mrs. Smithers. "'It's the same,' says Mrs. Smithers. "'Was the envelope marked private?' "'I didn't see no envelope,' says my missus. "'This is all I found.' Mrs. Smithers stepped to the wharf, and taking hold of my missus by the arm, led her away whispering. At the same moment the skipper walked across the deck and whispered to me. "'What do you mean by it?' he says. "'What do you mean by having letters sent from Dorothy and not telling me about it?' "'I can't help having letters any more than you can,' I says. "'Now perhaps you'll understand what I meant by calling her a forward hussy.' "'Fancy her writing to you,' he says, wrinkling his forehead. "'She must be crazy.' "'Perhaps it ain't a gal at all,' I says. "'My belief is somebody is having a game with us.' 
"'Don't be a fool,' he says. "'I'd like to see the party as would make a fool of me like that. Just see him and get my hands on him. He wouldn't want to play any more games.' It was no good talking to him. He was half crazy with temper. If I'd said the letter was meant for him, he'd have asked me what I meant by opening it and getting him into more trouble with his missus, instead of giving it to him on the quiet. I just stood and suffered in silence, and thought what a lot of arm education did for people. "'I want some money,' says my missus, coming back at last with Mrs. Smithers. That was the way she always talked when she got me in her power. She took two and tenpence, all I'd got and then she ordered me to go and get a cab. "'Me and this lady are going to meet her,' she says, sniffing at me. "'And tell her what we think of her,' said Mrs. Smithers, sniffing too. "'And what we'll do to her,' says my missus." I left him standing side by side, looking at the skipper as if he was a waxworks, while I went to find a cab. When I came back they was in the same position, and he was smoking with his eyes shut. They went off side by side in the cab, both of them sitting bolt upright, and only turning their heads at the last moment to give us looks we didn't want. "'I don't wish her no arm,' says the skipper, arter thinking for a long time. "'Was that the first letter you had from her, Bill?' First and last,' I says, grinding my teeth. "'I've been married longer than what you have,' I says. "'And I tell you one thing, it won't make no difference to us whether they do or they don't,' I says. And it didn't. End of the Unknown